0: Welcome to the FarmBits Podcast. FarmBits is proudly produced by the Nebraska Digital Agriculture Team and hosted by students at the University of Nebraska. The FarmBits Podcast comes to you
1: each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture.
0: Through interviews with experts, producers, and innovators from across the agriculture industry, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Hello, FarmBits followers, and welcome to part two of episode 84, Sentinel Solutions. In case you missed last week's episode, we were joined by prior host Jackson Stansel, who's now the CEO and founder of Sentinel Fertigation.
1: Jackson shares his experiences with fertigation scheduling to increase nitrogen use efficiency and productivity in irrigated corn
0: operations across Nebraska, Kansas, and Colorado. As the CEO of a startup, Jackson has great perspective on new digital and precision technologies in agriculture.
1: With that in mind, let's jump into part two of this episode with Jackson.
0: Uh, So I talked about this a few weeks ago with Dr. Shi, and this is really just my own personal interest. But I would say in the last five to eight years or so there has been a huge push to use drones and ag you know that's the best and latest thing and then very recently probably the last two years or so that narrative has changed and now our push is towards satellite imagery so since you have worked with both um what's kind of in your opinion the driving factor behind that change
2: i think really a lot of it is is scale uh truthfully the the folks that i've talked to recently and I guess this is the perspective that I've adopted as well, is that UAVs are are really, really good for very specific applications in agriculture. I think they have significant potential for kind of swarm applications, for spraying, uh, specifically spot spraying. I think they may have some efficacy for cover crop uh, establishment, right? When it comes to imaging, I think they're really good at three things. Um, and, and I think it best leverages their skills if they're used for these three things. The first thing is doing stand counts. You're, never, you're not going to get stand counts from a satellite anytime soon. Eventually, we'll probably get there, but anytime soon, it's, it's not going to happen. So drones are really good for that because you have a few-week window to get that done, um, and you can get around to all your fields and get it turned around. It doesn't really require a super timely turnaround time. Uh, basically, scouting for weeds is another thing that can be done with a drone pretty effectively. It uh, needs to be done with a drone because it has to be high enough resolution for AI. And then the third thing is kind of scouting for disease and bugs as you get to insecticide, fungicide time. I think drones are great for those. But until every farmer owns a drone on their own farm and we have you know no nighttime flying restrictions and we don't have to have line of sight for a human operator, I don't see drones being scalable enough to do constant monitoring. And a lot of our, our agricultural applica- applications right now are moving towards this constant monitoring approach. Right. Of always having information about a field, constantly updating the model and being able to provide those those timely, actionable recommendations when it comes down to it. Satellites are monitoring the globe every day. And so they're the best source of data that we can possibly use to have the most real time actionable information for agricultural fields.
1: All right. So uh, we've talked a lot about um, Sentinel's uh, functionality within time and their satellite sourcing and so forth. Um, But like everything else, uh, it does have limitations. And so what are those limitations in terms of capital resources? And can the system be used with any brand of pivot and any brand of pump um, and so forth?
2: The the major limitation, I would say, for our system right now, just from a, a pure functionality standpoint and application standpoint, is we focus strictly on timing. We don't make variable rate recommendations. We can say whether different parts of your field need fertilizer at different times. And in that way, it can be considered a variable rate. But realistically, what we're looking at is timing. And so if you're not willing to make multiple fertilizer passes over the course of the growing season uh, to apply nitrogen in conjunction with the recommendations that are made by the system, it's probably not a good fit for that farmer customer right now. There are some things on our long-term development roadmap. To solve that and move into variable rate application, but it's that that is kind of the core limitation right now. And that's why we are best applied to fertigation at this point in time. The capital resources that are necessary for this system are really not very significant. So the the entire end time system was built to integrate into farming operations as they currently exist. So we talked about our indicator block concept earlier. That indicator block concept, because of the way that it's processed on the back end it doesn't have to be small plots we can still use field link strips if we really need to uh and so for farmers that don't have variable rate application technology on their mobile machinery and that's how they want to make their base nitrogen application for the year and put these indicator blocks in the field we can still work with them right because it's it's built to be able to process uh, on the back end no matter what the size of these plots are um We don't really have to have a variable rate fertigation pump to do any of this. So because we're timing oriented, we're able to make recommendations for the entire field at one time. We don't have to have variable rates in different parts of the field. We can just say whether or not the field needs fertilizer. Right. And so I would say that's another advantage because we don't require you to go out and get a new chemigation pump. Uh, as far as pivots go, it works with really any brand, uh, as far as the timing recommendations. And and I think ultimately that's, while timing is our biggest limitation, it's also one of our biggest assets, right? Because we're able to go into most different systems and have application without having to require special machinery to, to make things work. Now there are some pieces of functionality in our system that are designed for variable rate fertigation pumps, designed to integrate with AgSense, designed to integrate with FieldNet, and some of these other pivot telemetry software uh, that are that are out there. If you have John Deere operations center, we're building an integration to be able to pull data across automatically and integrate that into our system to do site characterization and to post process as applied data without having to request it from you, right? So there are a lot of function there there's a lot of functionality that we are building right now and have built already to be able to adapt to this really complex machinery, but none of it is required to get the core value out of the system, which is ultimately increases in nitrogen use efficiency based on applying nitrogen at the optimal time for your crop.
0: Very cool. So it sounds like it's very usable no matter what your operation, as long as you're set up for fertigation, no matter what your operation has um, available. What about as far as when it comes to the physical field, the geographies, the crops, the soil types, is there any limitations when it comes to that sort of thing?
2: Yeah. And let me, let me back up just one second, because those are good limitations, right? The geography, crop, soil types. The other limitation that I probably failed to mention is we need to be able to get indicator blocks in the field. And so if that's something that a farmer is unwilling to do, right, or there's not really a good base rate application to to do it with, uh, where we're going to have to manipulate some other nutrient too much um, while also manipulating nitrogen, such as if we're making like an ATS application, right, um, to establish our indicator blocks, that could be a bad idea. Um, So... That's that's another limitation of the system is that we do require these indicator blocks and some folks just aren't comfortable establishing them. Um, And I would say that kind of gets into more of this crops, soil types, geographies situation. So right now, from a geography standpoint, we're only limited by our internal resources at Sentinel Fertigation, right? We don't have a huge team right now. uh, And we're really trying to focus on Nebraska, Colorado and Kansas because they are some of the most um, intensive states in terms of irrigated corn for grain. Um, And from there, we'll expand out geographically as we continue to build a team. In terms of soil types and crops, right now, we are limited to irrigated grain corn. We do have some research and development objectives that are designed to push this image-based fertigation scheduling framework outside of irrigated grain corn and into uh, other crops, including potatoes, cotton, sugar beets, uh, and soybeans. So we're really excited about those opportunities. Uh, But right now, those technologies are, are not really available through the platform. It's only corn. Uh, in terms of soil types, in research, we applied this technology on a lot of different soil types. Everything from a you know a clay loam to a silty clay loam to fine sandy loam to a true silt loam soil to a sandy loam soil. I mean, if if there's a soil type out there. While we may not have done a full field of it, we've at least seen it in our research, right? Um, so soil type is probably the the least limiting factor. The, thing, the key thing that we want to make sure that we do in those different soil types is use an establishment method for our indicator blocks that makes sense for that soil type. If nitrogen moves through the soil profile quickly in a in kind of a coarser textured soil, we want to make sure we establish those indicator blocks while the crop is growing in the field. If we're in a heavier textured soil, it's more okay to establish those indicator blocks with an upfront application. But ultimately, what that goes back to is just sound nitrogen management practices in the first place. So for soil types, I don't see it being a huge limitation, but that's that's where we are right now.
1: So are there any limitations with technology and what are the biggest maybe technology challenges you've had as a startup?
2: Okay. So as far as existing technology that is limiting us, I I don't really see there being a major limitation. There are a ton of like artificial intelligence engines out there that are through Azure or AWS that are, you know, essentially allow us to apply artificial intelligence to any of our our data sets. We have plenty of compute power out there in the cloud to be able to do everything that we want to. I would say really the the biggest technology limitation right now is whether or not um, we're able to quickly get as applied data into our system, right? And so it's it's kind of the adoption of John Deere Ops Center, for example, or, or Climate field view, any of these systems that automatically log uh, application data to the cloud. So I would say that's that's one of the limitations out there is just adoption of those technologies. The other limitation is just the kind of the advancement of satellite imagery. And it's, it's advancing, right, at a pretty rapid pace, but it's still not quite where we would want it to be, where we can get near daily imagery at, you know, 10 to 30 centimeters per pixel um, and, and have it come in frequently. So I would say those are probably the, the biggest technology limitations, but as far as compute research resources. We're in, we're in pretty good shape, I think, right now.
0: Okay. You have the opportunity to be part of the Combine. Uh, explain to us a little bit about what that means, what it is, and what the value is behind it.
2: So the Combine is a, is an ag tech incubator that's located here in Lincoln uh, on Nebraska Innovation Campus. And what the Combine incubator is designed to do is to essentially incubate, right? It's what it's called an incubator, is to take essentially fledgling companies And give them the resources that they need to grow in a way that is effective, uh, sustainable, uh, but also rapid, right? Um, And so whatever those needs are, whether that is trying to get more exposure to agriculture, if your founders or team members are coming from outside of the agriculture industry and trying to solve an agricultural problem, or whether it's trying to get business development resources for uh, maybe a founder that is a technical founder that doesn't have much experience in business. This was kind of more the mold I was in, getting the business development resources that are necessary to go out, get the company funded, make sure that you kind of have good financial management practices in place. Uh, and are able to to move forward in a way that is uh, going to allow you to be effective as a commercial solution, uh, and so that's that's really what the combine is. And I, I would say that the unsung benefit of the combine, um, they are probably more than than what I'm going to say here, is just the ability to be around other ag tech startups, kind of learn from, um, you know, learn from everybody else. What have been their challenges? What have been their successes? What have they found to to work really really well? Um, The other thing I would say about the combine is that they have access to the insights network. So similar to the on farm research network at the University of Nebraska through extension, the insights network is a network of producers that have essentially agreed to be exposed to new technologies and take on new technologies in kind of a paid pilot sort of format, uh, get somewhat reimbursed. Uh, through this program for taking on those new technologies, but allowing companies to get their first customers. Uh, and so that's a that's a huge advantage for really young companies to go ahead and demonstrate revenue, demonstrate that there is market validation of a technology uh, so that they can continue to go out, get the proper investments from whatever channels they would like to get those investments from uh, and continue to grow the company to a broader scale.
1: That is really cool. And the Combine is kind of designed to uh, minimize maybe any challenges that you would have as a startup. But are there any challenges that you still have faced as a startup company?
2: <laughs> yeah, every day. I would say I would say bandwidth um, has got to be kind of the, the major thing that you face as a startup. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I think about a lot is in grad school, there's not really, you know, you're kind of working on your own project to some extent in a silo, there's not a lot of pressure to make this, you know, solution work better than other solutions that are out on the market. You don't necessarily have to worry about whether or not uh, people are, are looking at the right technical merits to a technology versus more of the uh, maybe marketing merits of a different, different technology, right? Um So, For me, it was interesting making that transition from grad school where it was all about developing a sound technology that works, validating it correctly, following the right scientific method to getting out into the commercial world where all of that is still true. But you also have to worry about all the other different uh, elements to getting a solution out to the broader public effectively. Um, and and what that really ends up hitting is bandwidth, right? Because you only have so many folks that you can afford to have on your team uh and and to be able to treat those folks well, not overwork those folks, making sure that everybody is kind of aligned and 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 happy in pursuing the mission, right? Uh, but also being able to serve any sort of demand or new opportunities or strategic partnerships that may emerge. Um, and so I would say that's probably the the major challenge that we face as a startup. Now, the flip side of that is. Because we are small and we do have very little bandwidth, we're very agile. And so if there is a need in the industry that we feel that we can address, we can think about what that need is quickly and come up with a solution without having to reroute a big ship, um, which is also an extreme advantage. Um, so, yeah, I would say generally that that capacity and just size is, is somewhat of a limitation, but it's also a strength. Um and I'm sure there's some that I'm forgetting. I mean, if you talk to another startup founder or somebody that's a startup founder is listening, they'll probably scoff at like that being the list of of challenges. Um, but I would say a lot of the challenges ultimately come down to, to me and a lack of experience, right? And um, that's something that is only going to get better. So uh, I guess relatively a positive outlook uh, instead of a negative one.
0: You mentioned a minute ago that you have access to uh, the Insights Network, which also kind of comes with um, partnerships and investors. How do those people work with Sentinel and work with you? How do they support you um, other than financially?
2: So our strategic partners, we do have one strategic partner who invested in us. Um, the way that they support us really is by connecting us with some of their customers, uh, allowing us to do co-marketing and co-branding alongside their solutions uh, to get directly in the hands of of kind of some of our target customers, right? So I would say that that's that's the way that our strategic partners help us. Um, And I would say that's the same for integration partners, which are slightly different, but they're essentially partners that have decided that we want access to the data in your system, and we want to give you access to the data in our system. And I don't mean that as in farmer's data. (laughs) What I mean here is that we're sharing completely authorized data that a farmer has explicitly clicked on and said, yes, I want to allow you to pull across my John Deere operations center data for this specific field, right? So that you can use it in, our, in, in this system to make recommendations that are beneficial to me and that I can see every output for, right? Um, and so those integration partners are nearly as helpful strategic partners from the standpoint that they want to see their solutions grow and they want to see their customers have access to as many solutions as possible that are aligned and integrated with their system. Um, and so we all kind of help each other in terms of making farmers aware of these different systems that are out there uh, and helping farmers to to build their ideal tech stack for their farm and what's going to help them manage their farm most effectively. So I would say that's how partners help beyond finances is, is is mostly just what are the logistics? How do we get our, our solutions in the hands of growers? How do we improve our solutions uh, to, to make you know value-added features that work across the entire ecosystem?
1: Yeah, that's really good. And it's good to have that support um, from other um, partners in the industry as well. What would you say was the most rewarding part of starting your own company?
2: I would say the most rewarding part so far has been seeing a software that was originally envisioned kind of as a desktop prototype to fulfill a master's thesis goal. Right. Um, And designed to basically make my life easier as a grad student who is trying to process images. Right. And and turn into something that actually has utility commercially validated utility on 8,000 acres this year in Nebraska in its first commercial year. Right. Like, like, I think that's a really cool, thing to see is that it's gone all the way from ideation to prototype to minimum viable product to something that is a commercially viable solution. Um, so that's probably been the most rewarding experience. Uh, I would say the things that are ongoing, rewarding about it is number one, working with other people that are kind of aligned on the mission and and seeing those people kind of grow into expertise uh, in what we're doing. Um, and really get passionate about what our objectives are. I think that growth is is something that's exciting to be a part of. Um, and then just continuing to have the ability to cultivate solutions that match a, a vision, right, and and make them actually happen and be tangible and get them in the hands of folks just continually, right? There's There are new features to add that are envisioned. They can be engineered, put into our solution, and out in the commercial world quickly. And I think that's that's a really rewarding aspect of owning your own company is having the ability to set that strategic vision and encourage the folks on your team to help you make it happen.
0: That's very cool. That's I wouldn't have thought of like that angle from it, but that is very cool to hear about. Um, so as CEO as the guy in charge of this company, where do you foresee Sentinel Fertigation going in the next 5 to 10 years?
2: In the next 3 years, we're really going to be hitting the fertigation market hard. That is our niche market. That's what we're good at. That's what I believe we can win at very quickly. Uh, So we are going to keep attacking irrigated corn for grain through fertigation. Um, In the meantime, with our research and development objectives, we're going to be attacking new crops. Like I said earlier, we're going to expand into new geographies, and we're going to start looking into rain-fed applications as well and seeing if this technology might be applicable in rain-fed applications, most pertinently in cotton, I think. Uh, but even beyond that, into rain-fed corn uh, and other crop production systems um, that could benefit from the, from the technology. So, in terms of a kind of a ten-year roadmap, I think that our our recommendation system. We'll get to variable rate fertigation slash variable rate applications extended to a lot of different crop production systems. And I also think there's an avenue for this technology to be used for other nutrients such as sulfur and maybe eventually for potassium uh, and phosphorus during the course of the growing season as well, which is really exciting. Um, I think one of the like unsung parts of this is kind of where sustainability plays into this. And I see us being a a critical player in kind of the ecosystem services world as well.
1: Where can our listeners go to learn more about Sentinel Fertigation um, or just about Fertigation in general and also um, just to keep up to date with what the new startup is doing?
2: So for Sentinel Fertigation, the best place to go is sentinelfertigation.com. It's uh, we really have kind of a, a wealth of resources on there that are getting added to continuously. Um, we don't really have a ton of information yet about fertigation, about variable rate fertigation, about ROI, about how to get set up for fertigation. Uh, that's certainly something that's on our on our roadmap. Uh, but we're kind of heavy in the technology right now and just trying to make sure that we're, we're getting everything out that we want. Um, but there are some good fertigation resources out there. Uh, UNL has a lot of good extension circulars on fertigation, uh, and there are other resources from land grant universities across the country, um, for information on new startups, go check out the combines website. They have a lot of good stuff there. Ag Funder news is also a really good place to kind of get an idea of what the ag tech lands landscape looks like across a lot of different verticals from irrigation management to soil health, to regenerative ag, to, um, uh, you know, machinery and automation. So that's another good, good resource for folks to check out.
0: Very cool. Uh, Is there anything we didn't bring up today that you'd like to mention before we wrap it up?
2: The one thing I will bring up. So (laughs) sustainability, right, is becoming a a huge piece of the puzzle when it comes to agriculture, for better, for worse. Some people don't know what sustainability is defined as. I, I don't know the definition changes, you know, kind of no matter who you talk to. I have my own definition. I'm sure both of you do, too. I think regardless the idea generally is that we want to pursue excellent environmental stewardship in agriculture right uh, I think that's true for farmers I think that's true for agronomists in the value chain I think it's true for true for companies but ultimately I think what it's all coming back to is that we finally have consumer demand the folks that are purchasing the products that come from agricultural goods are demanding that those goods are produced in in, in a way that matches environmental stewardship standards right uh, in the cotton industry they've got a cotton trust protocol that kind of define is starting to define what sustainability looks like there are goals that are set by all these different commodity boards about what sustainability looks like for those organizations so the writing is kind of on the wall that whether we have regulations or not there's going to be a market demand for sustainable solutions in agriculture uh, and for farmers it's going to be a question of how much, additional profit can we make because of the push for sustainability and agriculture. So at Central Fertigation, what we're trying to do is optimize your nitrogen management, but what we would really like to do is to be able to provide you with a data set that you can use as a farmer to leverage yourself in a traceable and transparent supply chain where that data can help you either make more money or certainly confirm that you are producing your agricultural goods whether that's grain corn or sugar beets right in the most sustainable way possible that can get you the highest value in the marketplace right and so we are building towards solutions that are going to enable us to do that and we want to be the very first solution in the marketplace to combine fertigation as applied data with fertilizer as applied data from mobile machinery and irrigation data in one single platform. Bringing all three of those together is going to be a critical piece of kind of providing this validation layer of inputs that have been applied in the most sustainable way possible. Um, So I'm really excited about that. I think you know, it sounds big and scary for farmers, right? And I understand that, but I think there are also a lot of, in in any change, there's a way to leverage it for benefit. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for that for the folks that are, are going to be willing to make that push.
1: That is really neat. Um, so as you probably know, as being a previous co-host on the farmers podcast, which you forgot to mention, <laughs> um, uh, our tradition here is to ask for a piece of advice. So today we ask you um, to share with the listeners, uh, maybe a piece of advice for those who are um, interested in creating either um, a prototype or um, a software in the agriculture space, um, eventually with hopes of creating a startup company
2: my piece of advice would be to understand what the how the end user wants to incorporate that software in their operation that doesn't mean that what the end user believes should be the features of the software are going to be the features that you build or that you necessarily have to build it the way that your customers want you to build it but it does mean that at that critical juncture of how it inserts into their operation, how they receive the recommendations from that system, they need to be delivered in a way that is easily received and taken action on. And I think if you get that piece of the puzzle right, the rest of it can all kind of fit around it because you can figure out how to engineer a solution that will meet that specific point. Uh, but I think it's really critical to to understand that beyond kind of the, the technical approach or kind of the paradigm to designing a system like that, I would say the critical thing is to go out there and and build it, right? Don't just like sit on the idea, but actually get out there and build it and ideally get it in the hands of of the person who's going to be using it early so that there can be an iterative process where you at least test it early and get it in an operational environment early. Central Fertigation had a great advantage through the on-farm research network. A lot of startups don't have that because they're coming in dry with no direct connections to farmer fields, right? Um, If you can find a way to do that, that would be to your utmost advantage uh so that that would probably be the other big piece of advice is to try to get operational as quickly as possible so you can fail not necessarily fail quickly but learn quickly and iterate quickly
1: Thank you very much to Jackson Stansel for taking the time to join this episode of the Farmers Podcast. It's really exciting and encouraging to see previous grad students of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln taking their graduate research onto the next level um, in industry uh, through our resources uh, here at the university. I think one of my favorite parts of this episode was hearing um, how Jackson's company is making the effort to help farmers make more
0: timely nitrogen applications and um, helping them be more sustainable as well. Absolutely. It was really cool to see Jackson be so successful as a grad student and turn that information into a commercial company that he can share with the ag industry across Nebraska and eventually the U.S. It's very cool to see. So anyways, I hope you enjoyed that episode and we look forward to sharing another digital ag story with you next week for fun. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bids Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your
1: feedback, so if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter,
0: or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high-quality informational material to members of the agriculture community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and
1: do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look
0: forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm